Isaiah chapter 47 and reading from verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent, and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was wroth with my people, I have polluted mine inheritance, and given them into thine hand. Thou didst show them no mercy. Upon the ancient hast thou very heavily laid thy yoke. And thou saidst, I shall be a lady forever, so that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. Therefore hear now this, Thou that art given to pleasures, that dwellest carelessly, that sayest in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me, I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection, for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, thou hast said, None seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. Therefore shall evil come upon thee, Thou shalt not know from whence it riseth, and mischief shall fall upon thee. Thou shalt not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. Stand now with thine enchantments, and with the multitude of thy sorceries, wherein thou hast laboured from thy youth. If so be, thou shalt be able to profit, if so be, thou mayest prevail." Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. Thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast laboured, even thy merchants, from thy youth. They shall wander every one to his quarter. None shall save thee. Amen. May the Lord bless to us 
this rather solemn reading from his word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we enjoy a blessed and privileged position in this world. As the redeemed people of God, we enjoy a blessed and privileged position that is almost beyond comprehension. There is nothing to compare with the gospel of free grace and the message of forgiveness, redemption and salvation from God that we possess. We are a people who by nature, inclination and practice deserve only condemnation from our holy, righteous creator. And yet, and yet, from the deep and humbling revelation of God's divine counsels, to the unmistakable evidences of God's goodness and kindness to us in our everyday lives, to the grand promises of everlasting joy and happiness in heaven, we are endowed with blessings and privileges so absolutely contrary to what we know we deserve that it is almost unbelievable. Indeed, were it not that God himself gave us faith and enabled us to believe what he has done for us, we'd, be, we'd refuse to believe such a prospect, such blessings, such an inheritance could possibly be ours in this world. And so I say again, there is nothing that compares in all the world to the gospel of free grace and knowing the peace and pardon and love and care of God for his elect in Christ. You may be old and frail and sick, but to have Christ, if you have Christ, all your afflictions are small in comparison to the glory and the bliss that is set before you in heaven. Soon to be possessed. You may be lonely and grieving, but if you have Christ, you have a friend and comforter dearer to you than all this world's recognition. You may be financially poor, but, says James, you are rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. You're the child 
of a king and you hold a title to a mansion. You may be anxious and uncertain. You may be overwhelmed by the prospects of what lies ahead for you in this world. Especially if you're one of our younger listeners. And maybe you're thinking about school or work or your career. Maybe you're wondering what 2024 will will mean to you, will bring for you. You have a protector and a provider in whom to trust who knows you better than you know yourself and who knows what is good for you and promises never to leave you nor forsake you as long as your life on this earth lasts. And maybe you're worried about somebody else, your family, your loved ones. You can place all your hopes and fears and troubles and cares into the hand of the one who does all things well, who will do what is right, what is perfect, and what is fully commensurate with his sovereign, unconditional love for you. I doubt that there could be better consolation with which to enter a new year than this. The psalmist says in Psalm 84, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. That is from them that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He promises us grace now, grace for today and glory hereafter. And that nothing good will be withheld from us in time or eternity. So I'm going to say it for a third time. There is nothing in all this world that compares to the gospel of free grace and knowing something of the peace and love and care of God for his chosen people in Christ. In our chapter today, we are given a glimpse of what it is that we have been redeemed from and saved from by the Lord Jesus Christ. These Old Testament passages don't pull any punches when they describe the judgment that lies ahead for this world and for the rebel reprobate in it. Let us note, let us remind ourselves that Isaiah is speaking principally to the remnant Jews, the remnant people of God, the Old Testament church. And I know he is addressing Babylon, but that's, that's, that's a, a, a literary technique 
Isaiah is writing to the remnant Jews. It is to those remnant people that this letter is sent and is meaningful. And us with them. He is speaking principally to these remnant people. The Old Testament church that was about to go through terrible persecution, including exile and loss of everything at the hand of the Babylonians, the hand of Babylon, the city, the empire, the armies. So that this passage is not directly an address to Babylon, though I am sure that some people in Babylon would read it because because, uh, the, the, the people of God would carry it with them. If not in their possessions, certainly in their heart and certainly in their mind. But this was a blow-by-blow account to God's people to encourage and reassure them as they made their way through these troubled years that the Lord was with them. And that as these Old Testament saints fell under the sword, as they were sold into slavery, as they watched their children and their loved ones being taken away from them and separated, probably never to see them again, that they would be able to lean upon the word of Isaiah. They would be able to rest upon the promises of God by Isaiah and that these great truths would come to mind. As Babylon meted out on God's elect, upon God's elect, the viciousness of that dominating regime, these promises would Return to the Lord's people. And as indeed Babylon meted out their punishments, the Lord's people would remember that those very same punishments would be meted out against Babylon. And that's what we read in verse 3 and verse 4. Take the millstones. What millstones? The millstones that the remnant people of Israel had been grinding at in their slavery and in their exile. Now the Lord says to Babylon, now the Lord says to the daughter of the Chaldeans, take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks They used to keep their hair all braided and and, and, and perfumed. Uncover thy locks. Make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. They would be stripped to nakedness. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, saith the Lord. I will repay in kind. Justice will be done, and the cries of my people in their sorrows will not go unanswered, will not go unheard. Now this is a fact of history, that this took place. And 
our interest in it is that the Lord will have his New Testament church likewise equipped with the same reassurance as we go through our lives. That these things that Isaiah wrote to the people of a bygone day in order that they might be sustained in the midst of their trials will also be an encouragement to us in our lives. You see, the scriptures were written to all the Lord's people. And they're all profitable for all ages. In God's good providence, many of us may not live to see how God will judge this world in a day to come. And that's probably not a bad thing. But we are assured that judgment will come and justice will be served. God weighs with a small balance and whatsoever a man sows that shall he reap. That is the message to Babylon. That is the encouragement to the Lord's people and it is an encouragement to us as well today. This truth is so potent, so powerful, so significant that in the book of Revelation John uses the Babylon analogy. He uses the Babylon history and the memory of this. The, 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 the uh, memory that, that, that continued in the mind of the Jews of this ancient judgment as an example to present and explain to the New Testament church and to you and I today how our own persecutions will be repaid in kind and how all who trouble Christ's church will be troubled by Christ in judgment. Now the fall of Babylon, the old city of Babylon in history, did indeed occur as Isaiah prophesied. But the gospel application and the spiritual instruction supplied by this chapter goes beyond history. For the church today, John speaks of the world system of antichrist religion in the book of Revelation and he calls it mystery Babylon the Great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth and it's all in uppercase to give it emphasis and prominence and significance because this is important it was important to the remnant in the day of Isaiah that they read this chapter. They knew that there would be judgment upon their oppressors. They knew that God said, I will take vengeance. And it is important for the church today to know the same. Now, some interpret this 
mystery, Babylon the great mother of harlots and abomination of the earth, as the Church of Rome. They, they see it as typical of the Church of Rome. And then the Church of Rome, uh, uh, or, or the city of Rome, and, and thereafter the, the Church of Rome, uh, then the Church of Rome would be the religion of the church or indeed uh, broadening it out even to more than just simply the Roman Catholic denomination but as typical of the whole of the man-made religion of our age and I think surely there is value and significance of in taking that application because there are certainly parallels for the blood of the martyrs that were spilled throughout the ages of the church and how that that religious order, that religious structure has dominated and persecuted the remnant people of Christ. There are, there are endless parallels that could be drawn. Indeed, we find actually one of the key ones that's spoken of in this chapter is that Babylon of old took the names of God and attributed those names to itself, which has been the very heretical feature of the Church of Rome, taking the divine titles and applying it historically to itself. But whether the Church of Rome is the entirety of mystical Babylon or an element of it, I will leave others to decide. What seems clear is that the Apostle John uses Babylon in Revelation chapters 17, 18 and 19 to describe the worldwide anti-Christ system that continuously and relentlessly afflicts the Lord's redeemed people and sets itself up in opposition against the church of Jesus Christ. So that what we draw from our chapter today is that just as ancient Babylon is humbled and ruined in Isaiah's prophecy, so John's Babylon the Great and all the anti-Christian systems of this world will also be ruined by the Lord in vengeance for the sake of his elect. He rises to judge mystical Babylon. Isaiah's censure of the city of Babylon and the empire of his day listed the crimes which this people had committed, for which judgment would come. Pride, sorcery, by which I understand deceit, and lying and deceiving, claiming divine titles and hurting the
the flock of Christ. These are the essential elements of false religion. And as old Babylon fell, so judgment will fall on today's satanic system of rebellious religion against God and the hatred that it expresses for Christ and his church. Justice, the Bible teaches us, God teaches us, the law of God teaches us. Justice is right and proper. There's a propriety in justice that is universal. Everyone knows that. It's a cry that men and women, whether they are religious or not, frequently utter. It's not fair. Fair? What's fair? There is a propriety of justice that men and women know. It is a throwback to being created in the image of God. And justice will come on sin in this world. Perhaps it is the great error. The great sorcery of mystical Babylon that it has sown in the minds of men and women today that because God is love and because God delights in mercy, he will be loving and merciful to everyone. That's the big lie that religion today is foisting upon men and women. God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. He will be loving and merciful to everyone. Maybe you've noticed how today everyone who dies goes straight to heaven. Nobody goes to hell anymore. And how many times have we heard totally irreligious people say of totally irreligious people, well, at least they're in a better place. <laughs> at, at least, they say, at least they're in a better place. So what does that mean? No, they're not. No, they are not. The holiness of God as revealed in his law is absolute is terrible and is unforgiving. And this chapter tells us that the Lord will have vengeance. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Lord our God must do righteously. He must act in holiness. He must hold all men and women accountable for their sins. And God's hatred of sin is seen in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because it was there that Christ carried the curse of his people's sin. It was there that he bore the judgment of God's broken law. And suffered the weight of the sins of the elect in his own sinless, spotless soul. 
Today's big lie, today's false doctrine tells men and women that because Christ died, they will not. And many go to hell clutching that half-truth in their hands. What the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ actually shows is how much God hates sin. Would that men and women would listen when scripture speaks of fleeing the wrath to come. But they will not. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said to the men, the religious people of his own day, ye will not come to me that ye might have life. What did John tell us these things were written for? These things were written that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. But you will not come that you might have life. The message of this chapter is the judgment and retribution God will visit upon his enemies to punish their sins and avenge his people. This world system, its politics, its morality, its ambition will collapse under the crushing hand of Christ. Just like ancient Babylon. That city was built on pride, on greed and lust. It had no time for Christ or his church. In this one word that the Lord uses, vengeance, I will take vengeance. In that one word, vengeance, the two sides of God's holiness are displayed. From out of this corrupt world, God has redeemed a people by the blood of a great deliverer. And for their sakes, because of his love towards them, he will avenge their heart at the hand of mystery Babylon and the persecuting powers of this world. And I think there's a little application here for us, for you and me, and I'd just like you to, 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 to think on this and, and use it, as I say, as an application, because uh, this is the Lord's work. The Lord says to his people, I will take vengeance. And I want to put the emphasis there on the I, because it's not your job and it's not mine. It will never be your calling or my calling to avenge our own selves or indeed to avenge our brothers and sisters. That's not our role in life. Our role in life is to be as kind and as gracious and as helpful and as patient and forbearing, even with all the troubles that we face, to endure them, to endure our persecutions. It's never your role or mine to avenge our heart or take revenge for an offence. Individual believers are called to love our enemies and bless them who curse us and pray for those who despitefully use us. 
and the Lord will handle all the punishment and the vengeance and the retribution that needs to be done. Getting near the end. We saw in the little note that I sent out yesterday how one verse stands out as a bright light in this dark passage of judgment. And it was verse 4 as I, as I pointed out. That verse is a cry of faith and gratitude from the Old Testament church upon hearing God's promise of deliverance. Upon reading, as it were, Isaiah's prophecy of what God was going to do to vindicate and avenge his people. They cried out in verse 4, at the prospect of liberty and salvation at the hand of their Saviour. Let us not imagine that that remnant people of Isaiah's day were only rejoicing about the fall of ancient Babylon. I'm sure they were. <laughs> I won't deny them that. But remember that this was a spiritual people receiving spiritual truth. This was a people of faith to whom these things were revealed. They cried, as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name. The Lord of hosts is the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, that is the righteous God. It was an avowal of faith and confidence in the Messiah, in Christ, who is the sovereign Lord and the righteousness of his people. The elect of all ages have placed their trust wholly and exclusively in Christ. It is a mark of who we are and what we have been made. The elect of all ages place their trust in Christ to deliver them, not simply in this life, but for eternity. And yes, the city of Babylon, the old city of Isaiah's day, Babylon's fall and its demise and its the, the subsequent rebuilding of the temple under Cyrus, they all pointed the Lord's people of that age to the greater redemption and the everlasting righteousness that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us, and with this I'm done, we are in Christ Jesus, who for the Old Testament saints for the saints of Paul's own day and for the Lord's people in every generation. We are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, that is spiritual understanding, right, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. A day of wrath and vengeance came upon Babylon. Another day of wrath and vengeance is coming upon this corrupt world. Isaiah knew it and Isaiah spoke of it and he spoke of Christ and redemption. 
And so too the elect speak of Christ, calling him the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel, who is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever, the Lord our Redeemer, the Lord our Righteousness. Amen.